Welcome, Luigi. Uh, Luigi Zoja is uh, in Milano, in the epicenter of the uh, corona mess that we are experiencing. But I wanted to talk to my friend Luigi uh, because he wrote an amazing book on the contagion effect. And I thought it's kind of uh, genius and intuitive at the same time that you basically talked about everything that's happening right now. And that's why I wanted to ask you questions about how did you know? <laughs> I didn't know. But no, what I, what I knew, if this is a question, what I knew uh, uh, was uh, that uh, there is something, let's say, which in uh, uh, psychoanalytic Jungian terms uh, could be called psychic contagion which is yes. interesting in, in the time of, you know, infection, contagion. Yes. Yes. And, and uh, Jung himself uh, sometimes used that uh, for mass phenomena. Yes. Uh, when analyzing, for instance, fascism, Nazism, uh, communism, and so on. And uh, uh, actually, I was living uh, in New York uh, at the beginning of the century and uh, I experienced 9-11 and I was interested actually not so much, let me say that paradoxically, in uh, the day 11 but in the day 12, 13 and so on. So uh, uh, how people became crazy or more specifically, paranoid. Uh, that there were some paranoid terrorist movement, we already knew. Uh, there was already internet, remember? <laughs> yes. And, uh, and we knew about Osama bin Laden and his uh, uh, crazy proclamation, <laughs> I will destroy... Yes. You know, the great Satan, which is America, the little, uh, small Satan, which is Israel. I will destroy whoever is not a fanatic uh, like me. That's somehow not so interesting. But uh, what interested me was the paranoia taking over even people like us, like me, my wife, and all the colleagues from New York colleague analysts. You know, theoretically, we were there to help people but we were all becoming a little bit uh, paranoid, uh, exaggerating the danger, you know? Yeah. The, so uh, because of this, I worked uh, actually 10 years uh, on the subject of paranoia, not as an um, individual illness, but uh, as paranoia as a factor, a component of uh, uh, historical and social dynamics, you know? And unfortunately, uh, you, you know, actually, you know that historically better in America than in Europe because the mm. problem of racism, yes. of the rejection of uh, yeah. whoever is other, of the colonization and the extermination of native population once they were, you know, Christian message, but then uh, they were too different, and so, and and uh, uh, and then uh, slavery and so on, yeah. uh, categorizing humankind into uh, who is really human and who is not really human. So, in uh, Jungian terms, 
that is projecting what uh, Jung called the shadow, the negative side of ourselves into the other, the enemy, and we have the need for an enemy. And so my historical and psychoanalytic research on paranoia started from uh, that. And now with coronavirus, we are also becoming a sort of paranoid. Of course, the quotes enemy is not personal. We cannot uh, attribute to the virus an intention, you know. But, but, but we have, haven't we, Luigi? We have, it's kind of crossed the psychic barrier. It's it, like, it, it's personal with Corona. It's not like it's a virus. Exactly, exactly. And not only, but immediately you have those, uh, which you, you know it very well because the terms is mostly used in America, conspiracy theories. Conspiracy, yes, you know, yes. The virus has I, been I had, invented I have four by the or five of them myself. It has been invented by the Russians, has been invented by some uh, bad people. Of course, not by me, but somebody bad. So it, it really is a situation which overlaps uh, with the other. I am not now speaking of the um, strictly uh, um, medical one, but there is a, 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 a psychological um, situation connected to it. and even if, uh, as we hope, the uh, infection that uh, will be overcome soon, actually, I think it's not true, it will not be overcome soon, <laughs> but uh, anyhow... You mean the psychological infection? The we'll psychological infection can go on almost forever. I, we have I, to... Be I, I, I agree with you. Sure, sure. And every, I must say, of course, uh, here I see it, you were recalling, I live in uh, the capital of Lombardy, the, 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 the second Italian city, and actually the engine of Italian economy and culture, the most dynamic yeah. city, which is now in, in, in shambles. And I see the people uh, colleagues, for instance, being called into the hospitals, you know, uh, a colleague Ooh. of mine uh, is a cardiologist. They simply close cardiology, one of the top hospitals, very good. You cannot have a heart problem now in, in Milan, <laughs> a, a city with millions of inhabitants, because uh, everything has been uh, sent into the other direction, you know, the virus. So even the hospital, the direction, and everybody becomes a little bit crazy. And of course- That's the psychological infection. You stop absolutely, treating everything. Absolutely. You start focusing on one thing only. Only, yeah. It becomes a life and death issue between yes. you and that particular object, whatever that object is. And in this case, it's Corona. Yeah. But what's interesting is also that the infection has occurred in multiple governments. Mm -hmm. Like the Iranians and the Chinese are accusing the Americans. The Americans are accusing the Chinese. The Russians are not talking, so the conspiracy grows. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's almost like they're feeding the energy. Mm -hmm. that, that paranoid energy.
Do you, uh, what do you think, Luigi? Uh, well, uh, I mean, the paranoia is the most contagious of mental illnesses. I, mm. I uh, uh, always recall it. And I mean, paranoia at an individual level as an illness, it's one of the least studied because uh, uh, statistically, it's one of the least present in uh, Western society with the usual classification of paranoia, you know, Ooh. individual paranoia. But the collective paranoia is there. I mean, the past century, we had paranoia practically World War I and World War II. There is almost a continuity. I've tried to really Ooh. reconstruct that uh, uh, in my book on uh, paranoia, you know, uh, whose under title, uh, subtitle is the madness which makes history. Makes yes. History, yes. You know, it becomes almost an active factor. So yes. the continuous infection, because of which we unfortunately, bad example, invented the fascism in Italy. And then to, uh, as a matter of contagion, so many European countries became, uh, even when they used to be democracies, they became uh, infected by this virus and, and became, uh, transformed themselves into uh, dictatorships. So that's really very bad. And of course, uh, the US uh, is much more of a stable old democracy, so less direct uh, risk. Nevertheless, I recalled, for instance, in, in my uh, research, in my text, that. Uh, uh, very good literature has been written by American essayists about the paranoid style in American politics. There is a specific uh, book on that. And uh, of course, this uh, typically refers to the after World War II. Just remember McCarthy, you are too young, mm -hmm. but uh, you yes. certainly have heard of McCarthy. Yes. He was yes. trying to make politics through paranoia, you know, yes. always speaking of a conspiracy, and he would never even try to prove the conspiracy. Yes. It's so typical of paranoia that even what for a normal, still reasonable mind would be an argument uh, helping you to calm things down, you know. Yes. To go back to reason. Uh, well, you speak of uh, uh, conspiracy, but there are not yet proofs. No, even those factors, which yeah. somehow contradict paranoia, are turned upside down by the paranoid and became demonstration that yeah. you are right. Uh, uh, and there is reason to be paranoid. You, you know? We use it as evidence. Of, evidence. Yeah. Evidence. McCarthy was saying, uh, uh, you know, the journalists were uh, asking him questions. Senator McCarthy, but you keep saying that this uh, conspiracy is growing, that uh, yeah. we should all be more and more worried. But yeah. I mean, if it is so big now, please. Uh, present us with some demonstrations. Yes. He would say, <laughs> <laughs> precisely because it is growing, 
<coughs> controlling every political center, every source of information, every uh, media it's of communication. So this is a demonstration <laughs> that the conspiracy, Russian conspiracy, has already taken over. You know, the fact that uh, we cannot demonstrate it. No way yeah. out. Mm -hmm. Do you think that the paranoia, I don't know, um, do you think the paranoia has an archetypal energy? Yes, I think it has. It's really, uh, in this sense, very much an archetypal pattern because we humans need, uh, I mean, something which distinguishes us from uh, animals, maybe, we could say, is that we do not have only instincts. Uh, psychoanalysis starts with Freud, who correctly says, wait a moment, sexuality is an instinct, we cannot do without it. But we have something more. We need to distinguish between good and evil. No? And that's going beyond the simple physiological mechanism of reaction of animals. So we need really to recognize evil in order to avoid evil, naturally uh, through uh, moral and then religious education. We have, uh, we could say, introjected that uh, uh, in our, uh, maybe by selection, anyhow, in a whole kind of culture, we distinguish between good and evil. And uh, paranoia is a pathological way of dealing with the problem of evil. That Ooh. is, uh, if I am not uh, sensitive enough, if I am not psychological enough, if I don't have enough introspection, I cannot look inside and recognize that by being human, uh, there is some evil, something wrong also in me. Yes. So I protect it, you know? Yeah. So it, it becomes unbearable and I project it. Yes. Like with everything archetypal, uh, as uh, Jung always has stated, I, I mean, our neurosis, our psychosis, our psychic dynamics start with something natural, necessary. We need to reject evil. We need to be suspicious, for instance. You know, we cannot trust everybody, so a certain amount of suspiciousness, it's a natural mechanism. But too much uh, projection of evil, too much suspiciousness, mistrusting totally the others, yeah. that uh, makes life unbearable. You know, a certain amount, we have enemies, as Woody Allen says in one of his movies. Ooh. <laughs> I think even paranoid people have enemies. <laughs> so, yeah, okay. <laughs> Uh, you know, that can happen, just normal. Of course. The point is, it's a matter of measure. If this becomes the explanation of everything, then social life, normal life in a society is not possible anymore. When politics are always explained through conspiracies, then they are not politics anymore. You know? do, do you think that, uh, that the paranoia uh, fuels itself. It's kind of its own, um, has its own generator from um, population to population. 
and each population gives it a new trajectory, a new enemy. And so what you have, the conspiracy in Iran, which is the Americans somehow uh, manufactured the, um, the coronavirus, which uh, the World Health Experts uh, yeah. completely disagree that uh, this, is a man this is not a man-made virus. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, that, the, uh, that when America offered help to the Iranians, the Iranians said, no, you just want to see how your weapon worked. You don't want to help. So what I was thinking was that how um, paranoia is, it has its own generator. It refuels yeah. itself. Yeah. And so yeah. it keeps going. Yeah. I have called it uh, in, in my uh, autotropic, so self-feeding. Ah. It's a self-feeding yes. mechanism. You yes. tend uh, to, uh, you look for other reasons to become more and more suspicious, and this becomes your way of living. Uh, once again, in itself, a certain amount of uh, aggressiveness, mistrust, projection, of the not bearable bad side of myself is normal. Look, who has not experienced that even in our private lives, in our life as couples, in our life as families, you know, in a couple, oh no, that's you, yeah. and then, okay, you know, next morning, okay, I, I'm sorry, maybe I yeah. exaggerated a little yeah. bit, you know, or with the kids, uh, okay, Okay, next day. Okay, Dad, I, I have <laughs> I understand, you know, yeah. but uh, uh, finger pointing, you know, it's quite natural also within a family. So a certain amount. The point is that uh, when we lose control of it, and uh, uh, if this becomes a monotonous uh, uh, mechanism of uh, explanation, and then you have the historical contagion particularly in a uh, condition of crisis. I mean, uh, if you reconstruct uh, two world wars in Europe, uh, somehow you can really see, uh, of course, uh, the, the, the world wars have many causes which you can uh, uh, analyze from different uh, political, economical, sociological perspective. I don't claim that paranoia is everything, but unfortunately, if you look, there is a strong paranoid element, you know, um, infecting the collective. And so, uh, for instance, typically in the, between the two world wars, there is, an, uh, there is no disarmament of paranoia. You know, the projections continue, the uh, birth of new extreme right-wing movement, hyper-nationalistic movement, hate, for minority groups and so on, it goes on the like this. Yeah, bigger submarines, faster planes, and they keep working on them. They and keep they producing. Keep, yeah. And you put the energy and the money, which could have gone, for instance, into health <laughs> systems and prevent the virus. You know, into that. Sure, sure. Yeah. No, now in Europe, of course, uh, there has been. Uh, uh, this is why I say, my God, people say the European Union does not work. Wait a moment. 
European Union is an enormously complex organization yeah. having to deal with trade, with rivalries, you know, like now yeah. Trump with China, and, uh, I mean, the commercial war. Okay, but let's not forget that the European Union was born, the first idea were right after World War II, 1945, uh, the first discussion, in order to avoid the tradition of going into war, falling every new generation into a new world and destroying each other, all European nations, you know. And actually from 45, we are now three quarters of a century, we had no war. And that's not a bad result. <laughs> no, not, not at all. What's, <laughs> what's interesting about what you're saying is it also, you know, people are comparing this to the outbreak of the Spanish flu. What yeah. they call the Spanish flu, it's actually broke out on an American military base, the mm -hmm. fever. But <laughs> they called it the Spanish flu, that it yeah. came from outside. <laughs> projection. Yeah, yeah. projection. It's a from good outside. example of projection. Never yeah. call it an American yeah. flu. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we can't yeah. say it's the army flu. It's, no, it's the Spanish flu. It came so. from... <laughs> So it's just interesting. It's like, it's also, it's kind of history um, telling us a story again mm -hmm. of where we are at and where we're not at. Yeah. Yesterday I was listening to um, um, the uh, president of the United Nations and he said, uh, I forget his name, but he said, he said, can we call? He's asking for a world ceasefire in all conflicts. Mm -hmm. He says, virus does not discriminate against you yeah. <laughs> for winning. It does not discriminate against those who are losing. It does not discriminate for those who die, for those who are perished, those who are lost, those who end up in camps. It does not care. And most of your countries that you're fighting in, their healthcare systems are broken. Mm -hmm. they can't help you. Mm -hmm. So it, from a practicality reason, if you have no humanity, he doesn't say that, but that's what I was thinking. Have a ceasefire. Yeah, it, it, it was, I was reading about the Middle East. How are they going to try to stop coronavirus in... Israel and the Palestinian territory, they need yeah. a minimum of collaboration. And uh, if there is on another level, non-political, collaboration is possible. You remember the conductor Barenboim, who goes to there and he has an orchestra of uh, young Palestinians and Israeli playing together. Yes. And music is a common language, you yeah. know. You yes. have to find the common language. And then the paranoid projections stop. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, the problem is, is that, the, uh, that, that you are right um, about how paranoia recharges itself. Can you... What, what, what's going on with you? How are you doing? I, I ask you all these, like, academic <laughs> and psychological questions, but how are you doing? You're, you're stuck in Milano for a while now. You, you guys are... Yeah center of the crisis? Well, uh, we, uh, we have uh, enough food and fresh food is coming uh, 
every week regularly. We have a subscription for biological, very good food, which mm. in Italy is very important. <laughs> I can have food. Of course. Uh, wine, etc. So, and mm. we have more time for cooking, even more traditional yeah. dishes, uh, which nice. takes long because we are always at home. Let's say, if I may, after having spoken of uh, uh, self-criticism, you know, and the paranoid person being, unfortunately, the prototype of lack of self-criticism, let me make uh, some self-criticism. <laughs> uh, that is, belonging of an old generation of Jungians, I have always misrated a little bit uh, the technological means, you know. I always prefer to meet patients in person, yes. only in exceptional cases. For instance, if one of my patients, I don't know, has to go for a couple of months, uh, I live in Milan, as you would call, uh, uh, to Rome yes. for work, and they say, okay, for a couple of months, we have our sessions per Skype. Mm. It's useless to look yeah. for, another, for a colleague mm. in Rome, you know, we do this. Now, I had to accept either I stop completely, I have written to my patients, or if you want, uh, we could continue per telephone or Skype and so on. And mm. about a little more than half choose to continue uh, per Skype. Let's say the percentage is not so high because... Uh, it will go higher. It will go higher because they need, after a while, yes. And yeah. also because of my patients, many of them are my age. Yes. So yes. they are less confident with uh, yeah. this. Uh, they first need uh, some experience. But uh, it will go uh, like this. My wife has uh, young people, for instance. Yeah. Uh, she, she has adolescents. And she and other colleagues who work with adolescents who... Um, you know, are bad at school now. Now they somehow staying at home, Ooh. they have better school results with the school online. Fascinating. And that's fascinating because you know, they, they suffer from what uh, um, is called here, uh, the official classification is withdrawal syndrome. You know, they yeah. close themselves at home or yeah. in Japan, hikikomori, you know, yeah. they, they give up totally. Actually, that's the extreme case, but there are so many young people, uh, particularly, that's interesting, that's the end of the macho meet, among male students who suffer more because the, traditionally the competition among males has been uh, emphasize you know yeah every culture has emphasized more the competition so they are afraid of competition if they start uh, getting bad results at school they simply give up go to school but uh, there is an say an intermediate category uh, who are fragile sometimes they try to skip school and so on now being obliged to stay home they don't feel guilty, you know, and they can concentrate uh, better on the work. And so it's quite interesting that they can have better results because the pressure of competition, you know, yeah. This it's was drawn. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Solitude actually gives you the freedom to actually think. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. We, the we other distractions around you, the the people are watching you, that people are judging you is all gone. Yeah. Suddenly, it's like, oh, it's just me and this. What is this? Yes, I can see that. Yes, you, it's very... you have more, more time to think. Yeah, actually, this is uh, difficult, but it's also an occasion. I, I just before our meeting, I, I was having a, a similar discussion, uh, much shorter, of course, for the um, a television channel, you know, asking also for advices in general. And Ooh. it seems to me, uh, from the first experience from uh, colleagues uh, um, and my own experience with the patient, that uh, one um, uh, one suggestion is try to organize your schedule because Ooh. you are most people are used to work but under a boss or whatever you know in a structure. Here suddenly they are without a structure. Uh, they just online, but they can delay. I will answer this uh, later. Ooh better try to set yourself a structure. Ooh. Otherwise, uh, for instance, people stay up too late at night and then they sleep during the day. It's yeah. a confusion, you know? Well, here the schedules are going in the morning. So the schedules for work or school are running like from like 8 a.m. till about 3 or 4. So uh -huh. actually people are working so, a lot more than they were before. Uh -huh. Now you know you're at home, so you're answering more phone calls, and so I agree with you. You need a schedule. You also need to limit the amount of work you do. Otherwise, you end up working all the time because you're at home thinking, "Oh well, you know, I have nothing else to do." I've been getting emails from the university about doing stuff, and I'm like, "We're on vacation." Besides the coronavirus, we're on vacation. Yeah. We're, we're not supposed to be doing anything. And so we have to hold the same type of standards mm -hmm. for ourselves because otherwise we get lost into um, endlessly working. Because yeah. also that yeah. in every sense, yeah, set yourself a container. Yes. Reasonable. Let yes. by, you know, attempt and then uh, corrections, but set yourself a limitation. Like uh, a typical uh, topic of discussion, for instance, is that but I have anxiety, I cannot mm -hmm. sleep at night. Actually, quite a few people sleep better. So it's not, a, but some people ask, you know, what should I do? Because for instance, particularly in Italy, the only shops uh, which still run and are allowed, it's everything is closed, totally closed, but there are food shops. Yeah. And something very important in Italian culture is wine. Yes. So, uh, then it's a point, what should I do, you know? I, I am so anxious, I open a bottle, okay? okay? There to set yourself some limits, okay? Because, okay, you are particularly anxious, okay? <laughs> According to <laughs> your health, your size, drink a glass, drink two glasses, but set yourself a limit because yeah. otherwise it will be difficult to restart in, in uh, normal life if you drink too much now or you know uh, you have tranquilizers. Okay, if you really have to start with half a pill, you know, tranquilize and see if that is enough because otherwise when hopefully soon 
but realistically not so soon. This thing is over, then what? You have become an addict? No, no, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Very differentiated. Some people react even well. They, they, they do it uh, better, you know. And uh, uh, other people react with anxiety. It's really very, very subjective. Let's say maybe the more, it's a revenge of the introverts, maybe, you know. <laughs> the revenge introverted. of the introverts. Yeah, in the West, uh, certainly in Italy, but also in the States, it's yeah. somehow is the kingdom of extroversion. Mm -hmm. And now it's more a revenge of the introversion and the extroverts are, more at the loss. Yes. So or you have to That's... build yourself uh, some uh, kind of order, and uh, then uh, it will be easier to to restart. It's it's quite it's quite fascinating to watch um, people uh, reacting to um, the situation by acquiring massive amounts of toilet paper. And I was thinking about, um, I was talking to Sarah, but I was thinking about, she, she said uh, that we are an anal culture. And I said, oh, so that means that we regress to the anal stage of development, according to Freud. So I don't know, what, what are your thoughts about this, um, this regression? Uh, well, uh, you are afraid, uh, and so, yes, it's typical to regress, you know, in, uh, in Freudian terms, of course, uh, the, the, the more developed phase, uh, the, the yeah. genital phase, etc., yeah. needs more the other, so in this yeah. sense, uh, uh, the, the anal phase is uh, uh, in between uh, stage uh, of the childhood, where you, you are still building yeah. more your personal identity, you tend to retain, etc. But let's say as a Jungian, I would interpret it in more general and symbolic uh, terms. For instance, something I have read with uh, a certain amount of preoccupation. I, I still read actually the New York Times. It's the only daily paper I read because it Ooh. still comes. <laughs> it still comes. I have a subscription. It's come in paper. <laughs> it still comes in paper. Uh, anyhow, that uh, in uh, several places of the uh, U.S., they have noticed a spike in uh, uh, gun sale. Yes, yes. Uh, we have uh, you know, just in case, I mean, the virus, you cannot uh, shoot at the virus, but just in case. And so accumulation, there are already too many weapons. So uh, this is a but, that's, but that was a natural thought because mm -hmm. the, the first thought in the States is everybody has a gun. Mm -hmm. So why don't Let's you have, have a second a, gun? <laughs> why, don't, why don't you have a gun is the question to yourself like, oh, do I need a gun? Mm -hmm. So I was like joking with uh, Sarah. I said, oh, you know what? I'm going to go and buy a gun. She goes, are you crazy? I said, I'm just <laughs> kidding, honey. I'm just making a joke. It's, a, it's like my other joke, which I like to say in the morning. It's like, do we have enough toilet paper? I'm worried about toilet paper. So that's been my running joke about toilet paper. But what I've realized is that it's interesting from culture to culture. Like this happened also in Sweden. 
Uh-huh. Yeah. Like my friend was in Sweden and what he noticed was every sort of paper was bought. Mm-hmm. Kleenex, every kind of toilet paper was all gone. But the food and cans and other foods were still there. Mm-hmm. And in Amsterdam, they're talking about hoarding marijuana. Uh-huh. So they they regressed a little further. They're actually in the oral stage of development. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, Luigi, I want to thank you on behalf of the Institute for Conflict, and you are always um, a contributor to uh, the Institute, and we have a couple of videos of you on YouTube. This will be your second video, and hopefully we can put some more videos of you talking about your book which i think is very timely what is the title again luigi for our paranoia paranoia the madness that makes history the madness that makes a history routledge that makes history history yeah yeah you find it in amazon uh, amazon and all uh, yeah Mm. yeah fantastic because Mm -hmm. i think this is the book of the day Mm -hmm. so Unfortunately. (laughs) Ah, Well, so this is your time. Mm -hmm. You saw it coming. Thank you. With with great pleasure. Thank you very much for uh, being on the Institute for Conflicts Individuation Podcast. We really enjoyed you today and hope to see you next week, maybe, or in two weeks and kind of like see where we are. Send me an email. Okay. Okay. I will. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. the Institute of Conflict greatly appreciate all of you listeners. Please share the podcast with your friends and spread the word. If you would like to help expand our community, like us on Facebook and Instagram and give us a five-star review on iTunes. I'm Sonia Mahmood and you've just listened to the Institute of Conflict Individuation Podcast. We'll be back soon.